You're listening to the Make Love to Life podcast. So let's make love to life. In this episode, I want to share with you the reality of what happens to a woman after she gives birth. So I'll be tapping into the subject of postpartum depression and the darkness that a lot of women need to go through a lot. Like it has actually surprised me how common it is for women to, um, yeah, experience these intensities after giving birth. And to me, it's quite a shock that so little information is out there. And so, you know, there's, there's not many people sharing about it. On the one hand, I, I understand, like this is, probably going to be the most vulnerable sharing of mine as well. And yet I feel so pushed to do it. Like I, I it's, it's not like I feel like doing it. <laughs> you know, this is not a, so once you're out, like once you're on the other side, it's not per se a subject that you want to revisit or that you want to share about. No, cause it's, I mean, it's of a level of intensity that I haven't experienced in my life before. And I'll do my best to find the right words to truly describe uh, what that experience was like, uh, because my intention is not just, you know, for me to share and therefore integrate parts of my experience, but very much to help other women, uh, especially pregnant women. So I shared a little bit on Instagram about, you know, the light days and the dark days and how they were both of, of equal intensity. Because when I talk about postpartum depression, it's not like, it was 40 days of continuous depression. It was really, I mean, I described it as the waves of uh, the contraction that we experienced during childbirth, where there is the greatest agony ever, followed by the greatest bliss. Yeah, it's it's hard to describe because there was such a, an experience of being in the present, like that was all there was, meaning when I was in the depths of darkness, it was very hard to connect to the light. And when I was in the light, it was very hard to even remember what happened the day before. And that haziness I'll, I'll get to as well during this podcast, um, because I'll be, you know, segmenting, um, the way that I'm going to be sharing this experience, uh, through the elements. So earth, air, fire, and water. And I'll be doing it in this way because it's the way that I feel is the most grounded and clear approach because otherwise I'm just going to be sharing details that are somehow interconnected but don't really make sense. So I'm doing my best to, to make sense of it. So for your understanding, um, in Earth, I'll be going into the physical aspect, uh, the ancestry, um, as well as the component of safety, which is very primal. In air, obviously, I'll be tapping into the mind. Uh, spirituality, identity, and freedom. Fire, obviously connection, relationship, love, sexuality, but also the, the balance between creation and destruction, which is very much fire. And then lastly, water, uh, which is the feminine, the flow. And I suppose water, in a way, is going to round up this episode in the teachings that have come to me um, in, in how to flow with my emotions and find a healthy expression and find a balance, a new balance from within. So yeah, before I, I tap into earth, I just want to say that, I mean, I kind of already mentioned it, no? like it, it has been a shock that so little information is to be found unless you find yourself in this depressive state and you go Googling a little bit. Of course, you're going to find certain things. But for me, you know, I... 
I would say I, I have lived uh, very adventurous and I have gone through, you know, very deep healing within myself um, on, on every single level. I mean, I, I lived in India for five years. I lived in Peru for five years. And so the tantric tradition and shamanic tradition have really allowed me to go very deep. I've had depressions in the past before. Um, you know, the darkness is not new to me. Uh, but the level that I experienced after giving birth was, it's, it's simply incomparable. It's incomparable to any other identity crisis I've had or depression or process or whatever I took very seriously in the past. It's like, wow, birth is simply of a kind that I suppose only women really know what that means, women who have given birth. And so I do feel very fortunate because it's not that I've had a negative experience, like I wouldn't even call it that. I truly see it as an initiation. And with that initiation comes the confrontation with self. Um, because, you know, there's information out there that talks about the hormonal drop and it talks about the importance of nutrition, which is one component, if you ask me. And that's why I like dividing this sharing in the earth, air, fire and water. Because, I mean, we're, we're more than just a body. We're more than biology. And so it's important to look at the hormonal drop and take it seriously because there are aspects that are out of our control, but then there's a personal element. And I suppose depending on where you are with yourself, um, how that personal component needs to be encountered, I mean, depends on the woman. And for me, it was simply very, very, very confronting, regardless of the ways that I try to prepare myself. Because if you've listened to my previous episodes, I literally went into the identity death because I could already feel it happening. Like I could feel parts of me evaporating. But the, the big bang that happens after birth is just nobody and nothing can prepare you for it. However, in saying that, I am, I have to say I'm, I'm upset about the fact that there are all of these birth wisdom people sharing God knows what on their YouTube channels and on Instagram. And, you know, I, I, I got access to two hypnobirthing courses and neither of them spoke even a little bit about what could occur during postpartum and the intensities of what you could expect. Because this is not to say that every woman goes through it uh, with the intensity that I experienced it. Um, I would say there's a variety of, of how it can be experienced. However, after sharing on Instagram, the responses I got uh, both beyond, below my post as well as the personal messages I received, I mean, I would say 100% of the mothers I know <laughs> has had difficulty after giving birth and has been very confronted and was shocked by the experience. And so I think that this is very important to share. So here we go. So in Earth, I just simply want to kind of summarize, no, like the way that uh, my body was uh, affected. And in this episode, I'm obviously only going to be speaking about myself, even though I've received quite a lot of uh, messages from other women. Uh, you know, I, I can only truly speak for myself. Uh, so as you perhaps know from my previous episode about the birth itself, I had a long birth, but it was uh, in the end a natural birth. So she came out perfectly and there was no tearing of my flesh. And in a way you could say like, yeah, this is the way a child needs to be born. Uh, and yet I was super shocked by how, how, in how much pain I was after the birth and, and how long it took for me to be able to sit up, 
or to even stand or walk comfortably, like it took weeks. So for me, the bruising that I felt on my pelvic floor was just like, wow, I couldn't believe it. Um, so I, I can't even imagine what a woman goes through if she has had tearing of um, her intimate parts. No, like that type of healing obviously requires a lot more time. So it's not to be underestimated. Aside from that, of course, the organs fall into place. Then there's the hormonal drop. Then there's the insane hunger. Like I remember before birthing, I I was um, obsessed with filling the fridge and having the freezer stocked for birth. Like I was just something in my intuition told me like focus on food. Um, and even though we prepared ourselves well, I didn't know that my hunger would increase by three times. You know. Like I was just constantly hung hungry, and even though I ate quite well, I would I would wake up with hunger. Like I didn't know what to do with myself because I had troubles even rolling over to my side to breastfeed my baby. Like it hurt so much to even reposition myself in bed. So I mean, to get up in the night to walk to the fridge, it's like, you know, these are components that uh, just require a lot of patience and a lot of softness, really. Um, but I want to mention it because, I mean, it's just not easy. It's it's really beautiful, you know, to, to connect with the fragility of the way that life is born. And of course, there was a lot of fascination for for her, for her tiny body, for, um, you know, the breastfeeding and the connection with Ruan and seeing the light in his eyes and the way that he cared for us. I mean, he was truly there. Um, yeah, in, in a way that, yeah. I mean, without him, obviously, I don't know what I would have done. And I just want to emphasize on that because there's such an importance in the role of the father uh, during pregnancy, during birth, and very much in the beginning after giving birth. Um, so I, I can't imagine what that's like if the man isn't um, really there, like in, in all the ways that he can be. Because he truly has to do everything. And I'm going to get into this subject, uh, I think, in air or in fire. Because the dependence that we then experience is, is of a particular kind that, again, I find is incomparable unless, I don't know, you were hit by a bus and you're stuck in a hospital or something. Because it's like, wow, you, you can't contribute in any other way other than obviously caring for yourself and the baby. And that's quite a shift for a woman who's very active and very mobile and you know, me, I use physical exercise very much to process things. I go on a walk. I mean, you know, before pregnancy, I was running a lot. And these elements of physical exercise I couldn't um, use to move energy or to, you know, because th there are so many things that are very confronting in the beginning. And so the tools that we usually would have to, to move through these processes, I mean, in my experience, they just, they're useless because everything becomes really quite mental, especially if you're committed to staying at home uh, for the first 40 days, which in many traditions they see as the sacred time. Um, and, you know, before birth, I thought that this was going to be such a romantic bubble of, you know, I thought, oh, it's kind of like a holiday in bed where I sleep when the baby sleeps, etc. But my God, the layers of, the layers of everything that come out, is, is just remarkable. Like you're going to see as I move through the elements that, you know, unlike a quote unquote normal depression where it's very much mental, this one is, you know, a woman being touched on every single layer of her being simultaneously. And to me, it felt like I was shattered to pieces 
And these pieces of me were floating in infinity and <laughs> were making their way back to me to realign themselves in a new form. Uh, but I really felt like shattered and there was such a vagueness in the way that I was connecting to reality and to time and space and to myself. I felt extremely disassociated at times, like my spirit was truly elsewhere. And aside from the, the healing that needs to happen on a physical level and the confrontation of the mind, it's extra confronting because like on the way, in a way you could say like, oh, just give yourself some patience and time, but it's extra confronting because no one, nobody is sharing about the intensities of what can happen, which makes a woman feel kind of guilty. Like for me, for example, what was hard is that I couldn't fully recognize my baby as my own. Um, so obviously this was intensified on the darker days where I felt such an overwhelm of everything that I was completely disassociated and disconnected. I mean, not just for myself, but for my baby, from little one, from this house, from this planet, probably. Um, there was such an overwhelm of feeling so many things that I ended up feeling numb. And on the lighter days that would follow, where I was very much in love, I still didn't feel yet like a mama. So it's not like that new identity form just hit me immediately after giving birth, which is, I would say, the expectancy. I mean, you know, the, the blissful stories people like to share on, <laughs> on social media is that they entered a, a baby bubble and it's all blissful and full of love and they now are the best mamas in the world. No, so like there is a bit of pressure for us to, to enter that immediately. And I did my best to like just be patient with myself and to witness day by day the, the changes occurring. And like on a mental level, I could recognize, no, like obviously she was in my belly, she came out and there she is. And so therefore she's my daughter. Like I, I got it, <laughs> but I didn't feel it. Like for me, there's a huge difference between mentally comprehending and actually consciously understanding. And so I just want to be honest about that because, you know, aside from it being a shock, I think we pressure ourselves to be elsewhere, to be in a different space, to not feel so disconnected. And, and that pushing is obviously not allowing for the pro the process and often a darker part process to be part of the way that we get there, the way that we get to the position of the mother and say, oh, yes, like now, now I really feel it. And for me, that happened only after two weeks, approximately. Uh, but even after two weeks, I still had my ups and downs, no? Like, obviously, they they kind of started to wear off by week three, and still in week four, I was experiencing something. I mean, I suppose when we hit the 40-day mark, which is about six weeks, that's when I truly saw uh, something had shifted. So, bueno, just to kind of come back to Earth, uh, the Earth element... Um, another thing that was really confronting, which is something that I mentioned in uh, the birth story as well, is that there was this huge ancestral piece that came out. And I've done a lot of ancestral work in my life, and I could clearly see that it required me to actually birth a baby and therefore actually become a mother uh, to recognize this particular pattern that I have resisted and rejected in my own mother um, to see that it was in me all along and that I've managed to hide from it, let's say. It's quite fascinating that it's the thing that I had the most trouble with, especially as a teenager with my mother. And it's also the detail that my mother rejects in her mother, so my grandmother. 
And I always saw that in them, no? But like, obviously I did my inner work. I did a lot of plant medicine. My relationship with my mother flourished. There was a lot of acceptance towards her. And I have a great relationship with my grandmother. So I, I kind of figured like, oh, I did the healing. But yeah, it just requires you to, to be in that position of actually becoming a mother. First of all, to have more respect for your grandmother and mother. And second, to be able to encounter these patterns and deeply embedded ancestral ties, no? Because I mean, we carry it in our bones. And this was huge for me. Like, I'm, I'm not going to go into details because, you know, I'd be telling too much about the personal lives of my mother and grandmother, but it was huge for me to see it in me. It was, oh my God. I, I, yeah, I had many days where I endlessly cried. I, I tried talking to girlfriends. I, I mean, thank God I have beautiful people in my, in my life who really know me who, you know, we've, we've already carried each other through all kinds of processes. And it just, this experience allowed me to sink even deeper into their, uh, into that friendship with them. And I, I really feel grateful for that because, you know, as, as great of a relationship as I have with Ruan, I think it's really important for us to kind of find all kinds of channels of expression. So for me, it's my diary. I have my girlfriends. I have myself, my internal process, usually the physical exercise, but that wasn't there. But very soon after giving birth, I realized like I can't, you know, dump everything, so to speak, on Ruan. Obviously, he was part of everything I went through, but like very often I would get stuck in a loop. I would just reach you, reach you the same freaking bites, no? And it, yeah, it was very hard. And I would cry and I would end up in these places where I really didn't like myself. And it was the first time I really felt it so strongly. Um, and I mean, in a way you could say I encountered the part of myself that perhaps all along I didn't love. And so the journey was really in loving that part of me as well. But it wasn't easy. And so to kind of round up the earth element, I want to say that, you know, the pelvic floor for me really became some kind of guidance system because you know, to not be able to sit up, to not be able to to walk uh, for quite a while. I mean, it's very important for a woman to wait until she does certain exercises. I mean, obviously, it's very easy to strengthen these muscles again and bring them back into place. Um, that's no big deal. But you have to wait. And the waiting, even though four to six weeks doesn't seem that long, when so much is happening with a newborn, with a new identity, with confrontation of God knows what, it's like, wow, it's a lot. And so I really went deep into, you know, the, the contemplation and the connection on an energetic level with what the pelvic floor really is representing. And it's the foundation on which we stand. I mean, in pregnancy itself, it, it's so clear that that is our foundation because it holds, it holds it all together, really. And so to see that this part of my body was coming back together, it showed me that here I have a choice. Like, what is this? What is this foundation based on? Who do I want to be as a woman? What do I want to stand? How do I want to take my stand? Who do I want to be as a mother? What parts of me want I, do I want to leave behind? And how do I want to proceed? And that really became like my guide uh, to ask these questions and to focus, to focus on that. And plus the foundation is forever transformed from me to we, forever. And I think part of that love, which I'll get into in the fire element as well, is on a deeper level understanding that we are a unity. 
you know, Ruwani and Kelani. It's, uh, it's easy to step into a separation. And again, I'll, I'll get into that in a later moment because it's something that happens for a lot of us. So yeah, Earth on its own was very intense. And I guess as a side note, I also want to mention that, you know, even though breastfeeding at times can be really enchanting and really mesmerizing, it is also the thing that intensified the darker days. Because as you can imagine, there's so much healing that needs to happen in the physical realm for the woman itself. And to then give the most precious life force energy to the offspring is obviously how we are designed. Like the survival of the offspring is more important. And the the woman, the mother is secondary. Like that's how my my body is operating at the moment. And it's very clear. And so in the times that were hard, it, it like I could feel that the breastfeeding made it extra hard. And so recently I had a conversation with uh, a girlfriend of mine. Uh, we were very close seven years ago and we've reconnected because we're both mamas now. And this has been so beautiful, you know, to have all of these relationships flourish because of this initiation. Anyway, I really love the fact that she was also very raw and real about not romanticizing the idea of breastfeeding. Um, and I fully agree with her. Like, honestly, I do have moments where it's like, wow, I am enchanted by my daughter looking up at me and the beauty of it. I mean, the amount of pictures and videos I've taken of her breastfeeding simply because of that, like, wow, I wanted to capture that feeling because it really is. Oof. And it's an ongoing process. It never, ever stops. Right. And so you, you cannot take a break. And that is, I guess, the way that we stretch as mothers in our capacity to keep going and our capacity to keep giving and our capacity to become bigger than we were before, grander, more powerful. Um, and it's, it's not an easy process to get there. <laughs> so now we move on to the air element in which I want to be talking about the mind, the spiritual self, identity and freedom, which is a huge topic, no? Freedom itself. <laughs> I often see that the excuse of freedom or the fear of losing freedom is uh, the excuse. I often hear people say of why they haven't made children yet, even though they've been together for 10 years, or um, they aren't sure whether they want to, um, la 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 la. No, like, of course, there's a sacrifice of freedom, like it's inevitable. But like I say, you no, know, like there's a stretching occurring that is incomparable to how life was before because you were never challenged in that way and i really feel like uh i mean obviously not to, not to like excuse the topic completely like it has been really confronting and both ruan and i have had our days where we were like oh my god i can't believe how much we sacrifice and where can i find the time to be with me but now that we've created some kind of flow i i don't actually feel like i'm i'm lacking anything when I am in balance and when Ruan and I make the effort so that each of us has time to be with ourselves. Um, but I'll get into that a little bit more. I just wanted to quickly, you know, kind of go there because I, I know that this is huge for many people. And I also know parents who don't really feel free in the beginning of their baby's lives. Um, but I believe that, you know, we create our reality. And if this is truly something hugely important in your life, you can prioritize it easily. So, bueno, the mind, I obviously already went into it, no? Like, 
Yeah, I mean, maybe the entire postpartum 40 days was the most mental <laughs> of the entire process. Because even though there's a hormonal physical aspect, if that were the only thing I had to deal with, it wouldn't have been as bad. But the mind, oh my God. You know, I, I did, I did a lot to occupy the mind. Um, I, I got really into audiobooks, which I love. Um, obviously guided meditations, um, music. I mean, there's, there's so much that we can do to, to guide, uh, as well as breath work, uh, which is very much the air element, of course. So it's not like I just kind of surrender to the insanity of what was going on inside my head. I really went for it, no? Like, um, yeah, going into inquiry, uh, writing, like what I could do to release, um, as well as realign. Um, but it's not to be underestimated. Uh, on top of the processing that happens, the state of the mind also is something that I've never, ever experienced in that way. It was almost like my entire mind had become mush. Already in, in pregnancy, I felt quite vague at times, especially regarding time and space and forgetfulness uh, regarding names of people and places and um, even words, because I, th I speak three languages for, uh, quite frequently. I, 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 you know, not on a daily basis anymore, but I, I do, you know, on a weekly basis, definitely. I speak three languages, uh, Spanish, Dutch, and English. And for my brain to like get lost in the languages uh, happens a lot more, which is quite frustrating actually. Um, but then on top of it, there was this like huge vagueness. Like for example, I would be recording something to a girlfriend to kind of process things, I wouldn't be able to find the words. I wouldn't remember what I had shared in the beginning of that message. I would be mid-sentence, almost like being really, really, really stoned. Being mid-sentence and forgetting what you were actually saying. And it was frustrating, I have to say. Because uh, like that level of vagueness is is also what made me feel quite stuck. Because my mind is sharp. I'm very clear. It's one of my great powers, no? The air element, the way I communicate, the way I analyze, the way I understand, the way I direct. And so for all of that to be taken from me, I mean, it just emphasized on the difficulty for me to navigate all of these, uh, you know, the identity death, the transformation, uh, the need for being present and patient. Um, yeah, it just all kind of came together, no? And, um, yeah, I think what was perhaps a little bit uh, intensifying for us as well is that our newborn didn't exactly behave as a newborn. I mean, of course, every baby is is unique, um, but I have met newborn babies. And even my parents pointed this out from the very beginning. They were like, wow, she's so awake. And maybe some of you have seen pictures from when she was just like three days old. And I posted them on, on social media. And she there's this one picture with her eyes wide open and she's like, looking at you. And that's how she came out of the womb. She came out of the womb with her eyes open. And this may seem fascinating and interesting and beautiful on the one hand, because I am very curious, like, wow, who's she going to be? You know, like, what is it with her and her senses? Like, there's something uh, of a spark that is extraordinary, I think. I mean, of course, every mother would say that about their daughter. Anyway, her eyes were open. <laughs> And uh, it made her so curious about the outside world that she didn't want to sleep. So it wasn't that we were lacking sleep in the night. Actually, she sleeps quite well, um, unless there's some kind of growth spurt that uh, they go through. I mean, it's a natural occurrence. 
Um, my nights are actually really good. Um, but it was during the day that we just couldn't get a rest. Um, there, yeah, there were times where she, she was just awake for hours and hours and then she would get overstimulated and, you know, then you end up in this cycle of it being harder to put her to bed. La 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 la. But she would often fall asleep and then wake up immediately and with her eyes open. No? So obviously we've, we've learned to navigate, uh, these aspects, but in the very, very, very beginning, I mean, I'm talking about a week after birth and days and days and days of this. It was really intense and it has intensified the process, no? Because obviously there were things to, to integrate and to just feel like there's no space to do that means there's more energy accumulation happening from within. And I think that, uh, you know, the spiritual self and the identity is, it's huge on its own. It really is. Um, and you know, the identity shift into mama and to, recognize the the beauty of of where we are for the longest time i i kind of described it as though there was this huge void between the life i had before and the life that was yet to come and i was stuck in that void so it it was almost like i couldn't even connect with the memories of having been pregnant i could vaguely see it in the far far distance almost like it was lived in a previous life I'm just doing my best to kind of explain it on an energetic level, no? Like, it, it really felt so far away. And I was floating in this infinite space where particles of me were shattered and kind of floating all around me, but not yet inside me. And then somewhere in the future, on the other side, I saw the life that is yet to come. And I had my moments where I was fearful of what was yet to come. Because we're basically creating a life we haven't before. And unless you're in a situation where you're forced to really use, you know, your, your creative energy in that way, we don't take manifestation that seriously. Like we, you know, we like making our prayers and making our offerings. But when do we really have to be serious is when we're in a situation that is pressing on us. And so the thing that brought up certain fears had a lot to do with freedom. Um, so that's why I, I want to, you know, dive into this topic because it, it has been confronting and yet it has also pushed me, uh, to, to move my creative energy in a direction in the way that allows me to feel free and allows me to feel expanded and allows me to have sanity in my mental state. And so the fear that it brought me is because I don't exactly have an example in my life of the type of parent, uh, I want to become. So that is not to say that I know how every single parent is doing it exactly. I mean, there's so many friends that I've reconnected with who are now mothers and fathers, but I don't know how they live their day-to-day -day lives, you know? So I, I take my inspiration um, also here on the island. I take my inspiration from certain parents I've met. And then I obviously observe the things that I wouldn't integrate into our parenthood. But then there is this other huge side of basically a void, no? That is kind of like, th this is the playground. Like, this is where you get to decide how to fill it in and how to organize and how to direct and how to be in flow and how to listen to your baby and, and la 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 la. And also the guidance of the baby itself is going to change depending on the character of the baby, no? And it's, it's a, it's a dance. Like, yeah, we need to move with the flow and the intelligence of the baby and what she needs. But then there is also the component of being the, the mature adult who is not just the protector, 
um, but also the one that sometimes guides, uh, especially when uh, the baby is going through brain development and these uh, growth spurts. So yeah, the freedom, it, it, it brought me some fears. Yeah, because I have been extremely free. I mean, to seek freedom was the the number one thing in, in probably my entire life. I mean, I traveled all over the world, I explored, I had adventures, you name it. No? Like I was very quick to go for where my inspiration was leading me. And now I will do that in a different way. And I have to say, I, I feel so fulfilled where I am now. I feel so expanded and I feel so proud of who we are and how, how you know, how stable we stand because even though the intensity was really dark and difficult in the beginning, what came after the 40 days up until now, I mean, we're approaching the, the, the fourth trimester mark. So that's three months after her birth. Everything that has come after those 40 days, I've never in my life felt this centered and stable. I'll, I'll get into the state of openness in, in fire and water because that has been the key. Because it's not like dark days wouldn't happen anymore, but it's the difference between being closed and open and how easy it is to say that and how difficult it is to practice it. So anyway, to kind of round up air, freedom, yeah. I never wanted, like I promised myself, I never wanted to become the kind of mother who sacrifices so much of herself that she ends up building on a slight resentment that she hasn't taken her space after, let's say, a year. No, like I know people like that. Um I, I just, I, I know I want to be in devotion. I want to give all of me because I mean, this, this is, I mean, her entire body has been shaped through my body up until now, except one sperm cell. And it's, it's like, it's, it's so magical to see this form right in front of your eyes. And it's beautiful and empowering. Um, and it's also difficult at times. And so, yeah, at some point we decided, okay, in order for me to feel sane, to feel good, to feel alive, to feel expanded, to feel free, to be with my own thoughts, to have no one around me except me in nature, for example, uh, like going to the beach for an hour or going dancing. I mean, dancing for me is the ultimate state of freedom. Uh, we simply um, scheduled uh, this into our week. And Ruan was very supportive in this. Like he was actually the one pushing me more because it's kind of ironic. Like in the beginning, I found it hard to even find my freedom. But then there was a shift in actually feeling my daughter and feeling like this beautiful mother essence in me wake up, like gorgeous, like, I don't know, luminous, blooming lotus flower. <laughs> like it really felt like sensual and sparkly and yeah, just like overflowing in love that I didn't necessarily feel like I wanted to separate from my baby. However, I have found that we shouldn't seek to take space in the moments we desperately need it, but we should seek to take space before that happens. So we've scheduled in three moments during the week for me to take my space so that I am less likely to enter a space in which I desperately scream for it, no? Because that has happened in the past. And um, I think we're doing very well in that regard. I mean, thank God I'm with a grounded man who loves scheduling and planning and organizing. I mean, it's really his thing. Uh, I, I wouldn't be able to do it, especially with this mushy mind. So yeah, the mushiness of the mind has become more clear. But the more I speak to other mothers, I mean, as long as I breastfeed, there's just going to be this vagueness and this forgetfulness and this inability to plan and inability to connect to time and space. Uh, but also in regards to the femininity, 
uh, within me and the way that I get to connect with it and express it. I am in harmony with my feminine when I am disconnected from time and space. So I do think that there is a hormonal component that um, accentuates it and is there so that we can be in our feminine. So fire. <laughs> I would say that fire is probably the element that has been teaching me the most since the beginning of the year. And not just in the sense of creation, but very much also in the sense of destruction. And um, yeah, the fire that warms and the fire that burns. And it's fascinating because I have chosen love to be my one word intention for 2022. Love, of course, is connected to the heart. The heart is fire element. So in a way, it kind of speaks for itself. But it's only recent that I put these two together. Maybe as I was preparing for this podcast, uh, that things just clicked. Because it's, yeah, it's the one that really can create chaos. But it's also the one that creates um, the warmth in the house, which I see as the way that the woman uh, provides. No? Like the, the, the way that we get to love has an automatic effect in the husband and the child. Like it's so immediate that it can sometimes cause for the woman to feel pressured or allow me to just speak for myself. It causes me to feel pressured at times, like knowing that my bad mood um, affects everyone immediately. And it's it's kind of interesting to, to watch this alchemy happen because in a way you know, after obviously having had so many conversations with Ruan, I see that he would move mountains in order for me to feel good. And he sees me being open and feeling good and being in my heart as the only thing that matters. And more and more am I starting to understand that this is really true. And it is so simple that it's very hard to grasp, especially for an independent, intelligent woman. It's like so many of these other layers, they are secondary to the woman being in her heart. And of course, Tantra speaks of this, and of course, we think we know it. But when you are in a family dynamic where you can't, I mean, of course you can fuck up. Like, you know, it's not about being perfect. I mean, this has been a huge lesson to let go of imperfection. So I don't mean it like that. But when your fuck-ups have a greater effect immediately, and it's right there, always, it gives a particular power to start changing patterns. At least that is, that is what I've seen in myself. Like I've seen things transform in me more rapidly. First of all, by being more humble in recognizing I have imperfections I've ignored. I have parts of me I don't love. I have um, actions and reactions I really dislike about myself. But instead of rechewing and, and being so critical of myself, which very much happened in the beginning, I started to just say, okay, this is part of me and I'm now going to choose to change it. And I've never in my life, I don't think, seen myself change this quickly. And it's like I'm doing it for Ruan and I'm doing it for our relationship and I'm doing it for Keilani. Uh, because I am, in the beginning of her years, I'm going to be the, the greatest example even though she has a very intimate relationship with Ruan, very much, there's something in, in obviously the mother and the attachment to the mother that is very different um, in the beginning, I would say. And obviously, as they become more independent, you know, things, uh, the way that we receive from our father and mother is uh, going to be more balanced. But yeah, I really feel a drive, no, to keep growing 
without being attached to being perfect. And this is still a quest. It's still an ongoing process. Me and my relationship with perfectionism. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, love is my one word intention for 2022. And uh, yeah, it's pretty simple. We're either in love or we're not. And when I experience being out of love, it it ah, oh, it wasn't just me being disconnected. It was Ruan being disconnected. It was Kelani freaking out. You know, it's like, <laughs> and I laugh about it now because we're in such a good space. But oh, it it everything just came together. You know, in these uh, in these first couple of weeks, and it's yeah, it's not easy. Because even just looking at like the heart aspect of it, in a way, I was brokenhearted for mourning a part of myself that had died. And that was of the far past. Like we have to be honest about it, even though we are ready when we get pregnant. I mean, I was ready when I was got, when I got pregnant. I moved through layers of saying goodbye, um, during pregnancy. But when the death actually happens, there, there is a heartbreaking that occurs that is part of the process. And then simultaneously, I got broken open, like the heart broke open for more love to flow and for more connection to be felt and for deeper states of love to be experienced. And it is all happening at the same time. And so what happens sometimes, and so what would happen sometimes is that I would shut down because it just felt too fragile. It felt too fragile to feel both heartbroken and to feel all that love. Like it's so, even though it's so powerful to feel it all, it's so confronting, especially considering the position I was in, which was 100% being dependent on Ruan. Like I'd never felt that much of a dependence on a single man as I probably did since I was a child myself. And to surrender to that is already huge, no, for the ego, for the identity. And then, of course, Kailani depended on me, or still depends on me, a hundred percent. So I felt like this shackle in a chain um, of interconnectedness. And in a way, it's like the freaking most beautiful thing in the world. And it is very confronting. Like, we, like I can't deny it. And I, I wish we would speak more about it, because... The world has evolved for women to be more free, to be more independent, to be more strong, to be more self-reliant, to be more intelligent, uh, to be whatever they want to be. And to then return to the most primal state of being a cave woman, taking care of the offspring, whilst the man provides and protects and supports. I mean, we're going back to the base base primal state of who we are as men and women on a biological level and it's uh it's a lot <laughs> but when i could relax into it and when i could accept and when i could open up to encountering a new expression a new definition of how the feminine freedom is experienced because very often we relate to freedom as being masculine so you know going out or doing something as opposed to the, the freedom of the feminine, which is really, it lies in my experience in the capacity to feel and to stay open, to allow it to flow. 
And it sounds really cliche for me to use these words, and I wish I had more words to contribute or different words. Because, uh, I mean, we all think we know what it means to, to free flow, but I honestly have encountered new layers that before, I mean, I, I didn't even come close to this, what it truly requires to stay open and um, to catch the wave when it comes to be in this, this state of spontaneity where planning cannot happen because the babies are so irregular in everything. And yet, in order to stay connected to the freedom of the feminine, we have to be so present that when a moment comes that you have the freedom to move, you catch it immediately and you move. Anyway, I'm not sure if I'm explaining this well. <laughs> but maybe you're getting some of it. <sighs> so yeah... Fire, the destructive aspect of fire. This is probably a hard aspect of me to admit, but there has been moments of, of anger, and I think it has a lot to do with the redefinition of freedom and the death of my previous self and the immobility that I experienced in the beginning, as well as encountering parts of me that I disliked. There was anger, and it became destructive, no? And Again, I think that this is a normal component in what we can experience uh, postpartum. I think it's very normal. And probably most women would choose not to openly and publicly share about it because we're afraid people are going to project or, you know, we, we may feel guilty or shameful or... I mean, whenever we are vulnerable, there are always people who take that as an opportunity to give unsolicited advice and kind of project their own either bullshit or their own stories. Like it has really caught me that so many people only have one child and yet they feel entitled to give you a lecture because somehow their child is older than yours. But it's kind of like, no, but you only have one experience really. And I would say parenthood is really all about being humble and not being entitled. And when we can be in that state of admitting our vulnerabilities, that is truly what allows us to connect more deeply and then in a humble way receive the wisdom that the other may carry because we do need to connect and we do need to support each other. I mean, we do need to rely on the experience of others. But when it comes from this like top-down type of energy, which has actually happened a lot to me, um, to my surprise, I mean, I was like, wow, just fascinated by... Uh, the way people like to react to someone being open and vulnerable. So anyway, this has all been part of my teachings, but I'm going to go ahead with it anyway and be vulnerable. Yes, I had my moments of anger. And yes, I had my moments of encountering the destructive aspect of fire. And it's a very fierce, strong energy. It was never directed at uh, my baby. Um, it was never directed at Ruan. I directed at things for some reason. I like... I mean, it's the kind of rage of like, I want to throw a chair through the window, of which obviously I, I wouldn't be able to do. I mean, I would, I mean, I don't know. I didn't do it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would smack doors um, because somehow it needed to go somewhere, no? And what is beneath it, I still want to go deeper and deeper within myself. But I guess in this moment, I just want to be honest about like, yeah, in postpartum, you're going to have possibly, this is not for everyone, but all the women who are mothers who have spoken to me, like they've had wild experiences during postpartum that 
in which they didn't recognize themselves. And I think we need to be open to that possibly happening. So I want to share it in the fullest honesty that I can for women who are currently pregnant or women who are listening, or sorry, men as well, who are listening, who know someone who is becoming pregnant or perhaps your girlfriend or your wife or whatever. It's like, please pass it on because like, we shouldn't feel guilty or shameful about it. We should receive the space to express it in a safe way. Like I said, I never harmed anyone. I didn't harm myself. I didn't harm my family. No, like, but there, there is a, a, a truth in, in this destructive aspect and there is a quality in it and there is a insight in it and there is a teaching in it. And if we ignore it, obviously it's going to explore, uh, explode more. But if we allow it and we actually look at it, in, with the same curiosity as we would look at sadness, for example, or um, joy. No, like we can curiously explore those feelings. If we can do the same for anger, it, it then just becomes an emotion that is validated and of value to the process of transformation. And so this is not to say that it wasn't uh, easy, um, even though my approach is one of wisdom. It was very hard um, because, yeah, I mean, I would say I'm blessed with a man who is patient, who understands the complexity of the mind, who understands that this is a normal component of postpartum, um, that, you know, he, he would, he's, he's a more grounded person. Like I'm definitely more spiritual, uh, looking at like the infinite layers of, of process. Like he would refer to it more as like, yeah, yeah, this is just the hormones. So the fact that he understood, no, like it's hormonal and hormones make us freak out and hormones do all kinds of things. No, like hormones are in charge of our everyday sense of stability or instability. Like it's as simple as that. And it can drive people to becoming insane, depressed, or even suicidal. Like it's, it's scientific evidence. So anyway, he was very aware of that, has given me a lot of space. And he's also also drawn a line, no, like how far I can go, like what what is okay for my process and what is just not okay. And I think after some time, I really felt like, no, I need to stop. I need to catch my center. I need to, you know, allow this process just to come to an end. And the way that I'm relating uh, to my anger now, it doesn't flare up in the same way. And I think that this has everything to do with the openness, which I'll be discussing in the water element at the end of this episode. Um, yeah, because it's all about flow, exactly what I shared before. It's like you either let it flow because if you stop it, it's going to either become bigger than it needs to be or the duration, like it will last longer. Yeah. So fire is love, connection, creation, destruction, and also sexuality. And I think that this in itself is a very interesting subject, like sex after birth. <laughs> I always wondered about it uh, during my pregnancy already. So for me, it was a beautiful surprise to see that right after birth, I still had a lot of sexual energy flowing. Um, yeah, it made me feel very alive and um, very sensual even. Uh, I lost a lot of weight right after birth, like to my surprise, how much of the pregnancy weight fell off. Like I, I probably gained about 14 kg during pregnancy and the first 10 were gone within a week. And now I'm, I'm pretty close to, to being my normal weight. So I just felt beautiful. It was almost like I was slim again with a boob job, you know? 
and here in the tropics, breastfeeding all the time. I mean, I would basically walk around naked and I just felt super sensual and there was a beautiful flow of sexual energy and Ruan and I, um, you know, have a great way of, of connecting in a sensual way where, um, you know, penetration isn't needed. I mean, especially after birth, it's just not possible because obviously there's the wound inside the womb of where the placenta was situated. So the placenta attaches itself to the wall of the womb. And that's the thing that keeps bleeding for about six weeks after birth. And so penetration is to be avoided to avoid infections. Um, but bueno, that didn't, that didn't stop us from, um, obviously being together in a sensual way. And that was really beautiful. But of course, the first time making love is something else. Like it's, uh, I mean, it made me feel like a virgin, really. And, uh, I mean, I, I knew everything was intact. I knew everything was great and good, but I, I still really felt like a changed woman. I mean, even though I feel proud of my body and I feel sensual and beautiful, my body has changed, no? And I, it is forever changed. And it's like, uh, very fascinating to like make love for the first time. I think, I think I even cried. Like I was a bit nervous and I felt super vulnerable. And the moment he entered me, I orgasmed immediately. So it was, it, it felt like this built up energy and this beauty of, you know, the carefulness and the love that it was experienced. So yeah, I mean, where I am now, we're now three months after birth. The sexual energy comes in waves, no? And I still feel like I, I am not where I used to be. Like there have been a couple of weeks where the energy really went down. Probably this was in a time where I was breastfeeding more because Kailani was going through a growth spurt or she had tummy issues. And so if so much of my energy and life force energy is going to her, then obviously the libido will go down. But when I sleep better and when I, you know, feel better and I'm in love and I'm centered and I feel fulfilled and satisfied, it's like, yeah, naturally there will be more sexual flow. And naturally, yeah, we, we then come together. And, um, yeah. And we're figuring it out. I think like every new pa parent, we're figuring it out. We're figuring out when to make love. <laughs> I mean, we've had our moments, no, where the moment we're like ready, the baby needs our attention. And I've come to the conclusion that she must feel that all of our antennas are focused on each other. Uh, because usually, you know, the baby's sleeping, we're doing our thing, but some of our antennas stay connected to her. And I think when we make love, all of our antennas move away from her. Cause it's been, it's been very like exactly in the moment that she starts crying. And I, I think it's truly that, you know, like our focus. So yeah, we're figuring it out, but I can't say I am disappointed or dissatisfied in any way. And, you know, Ruan and I, we've spoken about this because I have actually felt more of a pressure to make love than he has because he's been very understanding. It's like, you just gave birth. Come on, Nalaya. Whereas I have been more like, what's, you know, this is taking so long and I want to make love and blah, blah. And, um, yeah, as, even though I felt that pressure or like, I don't know if pressure is the word. I just felt that hunger and I... I know that is such an important component to a uh, relationship in general, but also a very important component to our lives. Even though I felt that, that urge, it's not like it was really missing. 
And I think that that's also something beautiful that we can relax into after giving birth, that somehow our hormones are also designed to accept that for a while. Um, yeah, because we snuggle, we cuddle a lot. There's always, you know, a flow of sensual energy and connection and appreciation and snuggling and kissing and all of these things that make sure we are intimately connected through our communication and our bodies and whatever so that penetration isn't always needed but yeah i do feel fortunate and i know that this is not the case for everyone to experience that level of intimacy without or with penetration or to orgasm immediately after making love for the first time and i guess the tip i can give women is that it is very important to touch yourself first um, to explore your body first and to make sure you've had an orgasm uh, by yourself before doing that with your partner because the orgasm itself will give you a good indication of like is there still pain somewhere what does it feel like you know is it okay la la, la. Um, and you will know when when uh, when that is like we can't rely on what doctors say like you have to wait or this and that I would say for some people it's healthy to wait a couple of months. And I think for some people it's healthy to not wait. Uh, but yeah, the bleeding has to stop. That's one thing for sure. But I know for myself, I probably gave myself my first orgasm after two weeks of, of giving birth. Uh, because there was that buildup of energy and it was really beautiful. So yeah, that's the part of sexuality and love and fire. So now let's move on to the last part of this episode. Water. Hmm. Water has probably been the most important of all the lessons and is an ongoing teacher of mine. <laughs> you know, anyway, ever since I came to Thailand, I feel like water has been uh, really prominent in, in asking me to connect more deeply with this element. So obviously I lived in Peru for five years, uh, in the Andes, where it's basically all air and earth. I mean, it's, you know, mountain tops. I mean, I was living at 3000 meters. So like the mountains can be four or five, or there's even peak mountains of 6000 meters. So it's very high altitude. So the air is very thin, very dry. And so those are the ones that are really prominently there, no, like on a daily basis. That's where, what we connect with on an elemental level. And then every night I would make a fire and the fire is the thing that kept me in alignment. I would pray to the fire. I would, you know, make offerings to the fire. It's like, Oh, I love the fire. And I, I definitely missed the fire when I came to Thailand. It's like, Ooh, to not have that ritual at the end of the day, it, it really shook me in the beginning. Like, how do I stay balanced? And I do actually feel like I probably need to, um, I mean, we're thinking of moving houses to have more of a garden space. And I, I, I can see myself making a small fire every evening to just pray and realign. I've tried with candles and this and that. It's just not the same. <laughs> like to make a fire, to play with the, the wood pieces and to align them in the right way. It's, it's an art of communication. I mean, maybe this is why my fire has been, uh, you know, out of balance. Like I can definitely admit that. Uh, it's either really in balance, really in love, or it's really out of balance. And it's, it's hard to guide or be guided by. 
And so here comes water. Water is obviously the opposite of fire, and it is truly the feminine. It's the flow. It's the emotion. And again, not an easy one to feel balanced by. Like emotionally, it's just been huge tsunami waves or very gentle, um, you know, the type of waves that, I mean, a waveless ocean where you can float on. I don't know if I'm making the right analogy, but you get the point. No, it's like it's been extremities. And so a couple of weeks ago, we went to the sauna and ice bath. And for me, it was the first time after pregnancy. Because during pregnancy, they obviously advise against it. Like the extreme changes in temperature can affect the nervous system of uh, the growing baby, the growing fetus. Um, especially sauna and hot springs, they, they don't advise to, uh, engage with. So I had missed the sauna a lot because again, that's a huge, I mean, it's always been a medicine of mine to like feel replenished, to feel realigned, to feel clean, to feel grounded. Ice bath is something I'm still learning to connect with. So anyway, here it's very popular to have both, uh, cause there's a lot of Russian influence here. And so we went to, um, the sauna ice bath. And every time I get into the ice, it's like, oh my God, it feels like an attack on the nervous system. And then Ruan explained to me that the ability to accept or feel stable in temperature, how did he put it? To be able to navigate temperature changes reveals the ability to navigate emotional changes. And when he said that, it made huge sense, no? Because anyway, women were more like, oh, it's too hot, oh, it's too cold, and it's changing within an hour, no? Like, Ruan often makes fun of me in that way, especially during pregnancy, where I would get so hot so quickly. I mean, all of that has definitely changed after giving birth. Like, I'm more capable of being in the tropics. But yeah, the ice bath has also become a teacher of mine, and I am actually starting to enjoy it. Uh, the extreme heat followed by the extreme cold and the effect of it, the calming effect of it. And so I'm, I'm going to continue connecting with the sauna and ice bath in a way to keep connecting with um, my inner waters and the flow that can either become vapor or water or ice or, you know, it's like to, to see the different forms of water as a way of connecting with the emotional state and the transformation of each of these states in the way that they shape from one into the other. So, yeah, I just wanted to give that as like a little anecdote on the side because it's definitely becoming a tool of mine. But yeah, just to come come back to what I was saying about Peru, you know, it's like I came from the extreme dry environment and I came here, uh, I mean, it was the end of 2020, but ever since it's been the humidity that, you know, was very hard for me to deal with. It just felt very extreme because my body had completely adapted to the altitude and the thin air of the Andes. And so I would say it took my body about a year to acclimatize to this uh, humidity. And recently all of our parents came to visit. And I mean, it was clear, no, like his parents come from New York, mine come from the Netherlands. The humidity is unlike what they experience. And so it was, yeah, for all of them, it was very difficult. So yeah, water has been here and it has felt uncomfortable in a physical way in Thailand. And now I'm able to deal with it more, like in a more harmonious way. 
Um, and yet it continues to be a teacher of mine. No? Like we're surrounded by water. Kailani, I feel, has very much of a water element in her. Uh, in her name, you know, Kailani Moon. Uh, Kailani means um, ocean and sky. So it's the moonlit sky above the ocean. So like I really feel like she chose to live here. We're committed to ground here for a couple of years. It's, yeah, this is the phase in life where, where water is demanding more of my presence to understand it and integrate it more deeply within me. And with that comes the teaching of the feminine, which again has been the most prominent since the beginning of our relationship, since the beginning of me coming to Thailand. And so I kind of already uh, talked about it. Sorry, Kilani is uh, on me. And she's slowly waking up, so I'm just kind of like pushing her back into sleep. You probably hear her breathing a little bit. So I'm going to try to keep my focus until the end. This is multitasking mama life. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, the feminine has always been a guide in my life. It has been a huge component of me finding my purpose in life, but the levels of femininity that continue to reveal themselves since the safety I have found in this relationship and the freedom I have found to express myself and to be seen for all that I am, and not just seen, but loved for all that I am. Like I'm really opening up more and more to the immense love that Ruan has for me. Like I have these moments where I just cannot believe that I'm showing this ugly side of me and he's yeah i don't know he just really loves me unconditionally and supports me unconditionally and is so devoted to prioritizing our family and i mean for me that's no different no like obviously i mean it's very clear the sacrifice of a woman but the sacrifice that i've continuously made continued to make ever since i left peru is gigantic like i have times where i'm just flabbergasted by how much i have left behind i have shed i continue to shed and let go of and sacrifice for for us to be where we are now however it's easier to give yourself and to love the other than it is sometimes to be loved or to recognize the love that is coming towards you um sorry i got totally distracted where are we now the feminine water okay yeah so the main teaching is really about openness. So, for example, when there is that resistance, no, of like, fuck, I'm having a down day, I feel disconnected, I feel numb, I feel disassociated, I feel guilty about feeling these feelings, and then it all lasts way longer, and I end up, you know, not being nice to the one, and we all end up feeling disconnected, da da da, da. That only happens when there is a resistance or a rejection to the state I am feeling. Whereas, for example, I wake up and I don't actually feel good. I might feel angry. I might feel grumpy. I might feel I've had enough of breastfeeding, which happens sometimes. Not to say that I don't breastfeed, but anyway, you know what I mean. It's like there are these days where we just had enough and we just want to take a break or we whatever. But if I remain open and I admit everything that I'm feeling and I allow the feelings to be felt, usually those energies will shift. And even if they don't shift until the end of the day or the next day after I've slept well, the day can still be enjoyable. You know, it's like being angry and 
grumpy and this uncomfortable and it's still enjoyable because I remain open. And what I then see in Ruan, so, uh, you know, I, I, I would also label it as, you know, me being in an ugly state or an ugly expression of myself. Like I don't feel beautiful in any way, you know, like, like my voice changes, I, my facial expression, I look tired. I, ugh, it's like, bleh. but if I stay open, Ruan is just like so willing to do anything you know, anything, anything to accommodate my day. Because the better I feel or the, the more, the more I, if I am able to stay open, regardless of how I feel, regardless of me feeling better, actually, um, the more it naturally feeds him and the more it will give him that energy to, to do his tasks. So whether it is his work or, I don't know. He has many projects at the moment. No, like whatever project he wants to work on, it's, it's fueled by the way that I support the foundation of our family. And this is really beautiful in, in our polarizing energy because we really contribute from the masculine versus the feminine. And it's so like black and white stereotypical to use these words. No. And especially in this new age, blah, blah, where we overuse and abuse these words. Like, but I really see it. And I don't mean feminine and uh, masculine from per se a spiritual element, but really from a biological primal element. And to surrender to that, especially as like modern women, it's uh, very liberating. And again, this was part of the conversation I was having with uh, that girlfriend of mine who I used to be very close with. It's like we both ended up after basically not really being in contact for seven years. We both ended up being mothers. We both ended up taking a break from our work and we both ended up encountering these deeper layers of freedom and beauty in just letting go, being present and nourishing our families and all the lessons that come with that and the, I mean, yeah, the beauty that comes with being with men who honor their position and who take these masculine virtues really seriously. Like it's, it's it's not very common when I hear other people about their relationships, and it is very beautiful to experience. So yeah, what can I say? Hmm. Okay, so now I really feel Kailani waking up. I'm 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 doing my best to shake her, but I think she's hearing my voice and uh, she's ready for booby. <laughs> I just want to round up by saying that, you know, this has been one of the most insightful times of my life. It has revealed layers of me. It has given me opportunity to love myself more and to allow this new shape of me to form. Of course, I'm only three months after birthing myself and birthing Kailani. And people tell me that it takes nine months after giving birth the same way that it's nine months in the womb to really find um, a stability from within. So I'm very curious where I will be in six months from now. And even in 18 years from now, it's like, I think there's nothing as transformative and humbling as the experience of giving birth and becoming a parent and allowing the expansion of the heart, which is so powerful to experience and so fragile. So yeah, thank you for listening. As you can hear, the little one needs my attention, so I'm going to round it up, but I think it's perfect timing. Thank you so much, and please 
reach out if you have a question or if there's anything you want to share. See you next time. The Make Love to Life podcast is the place where we get naked and have a real conversation. So if you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe. And if you want more personal updates, you can follow me on Instagram or sign up for my newsletter on nalayachakana.com. See you next time.